Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. I'm syrup. I keep checking my mustache. Why do you keep checking your mustache? You to made, make sure it's there? To make You made fun of me because I got a little bit of cream in there. You made fun of me because I you got You just got made a, yourself this little fancy coffee drink just in the middle of the day. It's an iced coffee. He, well, you made an iced coffee, but then you put a nice little swirl of whipped cream, a fanciful swirl of whipped cream right on the top. So, I love that. I love injecting some whimsy into your day. Sydney, I have a, a, a suggestion for you. Yes. Once a day, get yourself a present. Just give yourself a plan. Don't plan for it. Don't wait for it. Just give yourself a present. Today, my little present to me is a little dollop of uh, whipped cream on top of my coffee drink. But now, I'm worried it's stuck in my mustache, so I'm having to wipe it off. It's not. My hands, I've made my hands all sticky with uh, with with whipped cream uh, that I've scraped out of there. And I don't know how to get them clean. Oh. This is my husband. His hands are sticky with whipped cream. My hands are sticky with whipped cream like some he's, sort of bear in a campground. An, he is an adult. Like a bear but, that got into the marshmallows. But his hands are sticky with whipped cream. My hands aren't sticky, Smurl. I've opened the door for you. It's a segue. All right? Sheesh. Is that the present a- you got me? A segue? I wish. I wish we had Segway money. Keep hitting those sponsors and you maximum fund dollar first slash join and just get that get that money rolling in so I can finally get my my wife the one thing she's ever wanted <laughs> a Segway. That's not true, by the way. I don't actually. I would definitely fall off. I don't want a Segway. Uh, well, Justin, if your hands are sticky, you might you might need some hand sanitizer. Yeah, that would... That's actually not the best solution. Washing your hands would be better, but this episode is about hand sanitizer and not washing your hands. So mm-hmm. I, I see where you set me up there, but like, think about it. If When your hands are sticky, if you squirt hand sanitizer on them, does that always like do the whole job for you? No, it, sometimes you might just end up with uh, alcohol-strewn sticky hands. Mm-hmm. That's not good. They've disinfected sticky hands. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about hand washing. Yes. That's done. We did that. Old Dr. Simmelweiss mm-hmm. invented cleanliness. That It's true. We did that one early in the pandemic uh, because it was relevant because people suddenly became aware of hand washing. So glad we're over that, by the way. <laughs> Ugh, gross. You know how much I was spending on soap? No, we are not over that, and we still should be washing our hands. But we didn't talk about hand sanitizer, and, and we should because uh, not so much now, but Throughout the pandemic, it's been a hot item, a remember, hot ticket item. Remember earlier when when everyone who could make 
hand sanitizer was like I think mm-hmm. Tito's the vodka people they were like we're using our extra capacity to make hand sanitizer a and lot like, of a lot of alcohol companies converted that then there were a lot of DIY we'll get into that but uh, hand sanitizer became a hot commodity and it was hard to get people mm-hmm. were stockpiling it oh yeah like oh yeah else. oh yeah that and toilet paper but you know it, it's interesting to think about did we always like love hand sanitizer so much. Where did it come from? Why did who who came up with it? And was it always the hot commodity that it is today? Um, so we figured out hand washing. We talked about that. We loved it, and we all got excited about it. But there was an obvious limitation. In order to wash your hands with soap and water, you need hands. Yes, this is one. But you, you also you have to have soap and water. Yeah. And soap was maybe less of a limitation in the sense that, like, well, you could make soap pretty cheaply and easily eventually, variety of forms, and you could get that out to people. It's shelf-stable, you know? So You can can rend an animal, right? Isn't that what you do? You rend an animal. There's fat involved. (laughs) There's fat involved. It's not pretty, but it is. I don't want to get in. It is available. We've all seen Fight Club. (laughs) (laughs) Um. However, it does require water, and without water, you don't have a great option, well, prior to, to this, to clean your hands, right? Because you've got soap, but we you're just going to rub the dry soap all over your hands? Come on. Who, Get real. Also, I don't know if this is like a healthcare worker problem or if other lines of work, you have this common thing where in a room, in an exam room, it is not uncommon to have a hand sanitizer dispenser and a soap dispenser that look identical except for if you read where they say either hand sanitizer or soap. And sometimes there's a slight color difference in like what you can, so like a visual. I have so many times put soap on my hands and then stood there talking to a patient while I just continually rubbed Rub soap, soap all my over hands. my hands and thought, this is not hand sanitizer. This no. is not hand sanitizer. Oh, no, this is my day. But now this patient isn't going to take me seriously if I say, excuse me, I've just put soap on my hands. <laughs> I'm a real doctor. <laughs> I wasn't pretending. But even when you have access to water and soap, it also takes time. And that was another problem they found pretty quickly. And, you know, maybe if you're prepping for a surgical scrub, you've got the time to do a full, you know, real deal. Because that's a big time hand washing ordeal that you go through before a surgery. But if you're in like a busy ER. They're crashing. They're crashing. Yeah. Get get in here. It's just like that. My hands are dirty. It doesn't matter. (laughs) No, it does. They don't care. So there's no time. We needed a way to clean your hands without soap and water, and we needed a way to do it fast. Um, the idea of alcohol being sort of the vehicle for that is an older one. And like, if you think about on this show stuff we've talked about throughout medical history that we've used to clean wounds, we've been using alcohol on wounds for a long time without really knowing why, right? Well, it's nice because it burns when you drink it and it's one of those rare times where like it feels like what it's do like you could intuit that like this is burning my throat i bet it would burn the germs away when we didn't even know about germs i know but and but it's similar you know we used to cauterize wounds we used to literally burn wounds so why not dump some wine or brandy or whatever on them um and maybe that was doing something and it maybe it was if there was enough alcohol content it it would have been doing something even though we didn't understand that yet um in the same period of time where we were 
kind of understanding sanitation. We're talking about after Semmelweis told us to wash our hands, we're in the Lister and Pasteur era where all of a sudden we, we're starting to understand germs and how to kill germs and the concept of antisepsis and why that would matter and why that would What's keep you from getting sick. Like um, of having an uh, a work surface or area or 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 hands or something that is free of germ cause disease causing bacteria or viruses or germs, right? That whole concept was was coming to light. Um, this is the same period of time where Dr. Leonid Buchholz discovered that a form. Sorry, could you say that one more time, just because it was very cute? Buchholz. Okay. Buchholz. Buchholz. Okay, you're getting there. <laughs> Uh, discovered that a form of alcohol, specifically ethanol, was a useful antiseptic. It killed stuff. E2OH, right? Yeah. Hey, very good. Oh, thank you. Now, he figured that out, and everybody was like, well, that's kind of cool. We don't quite know what to do with that information yet. Like, that's nice. We know that now. Um, We need to know, like, how do you apply it to things? Like, would just, like, dump it? And then also, what concentration of alcohol, right? You know? I mean, we, we understand that, like... Beer versus wine versus vodka. Those are all different concentrations of alcohol. Similarly, what? how much alcohol do we need in this liquid yeah. to, to do something? Um, so you see all these studies, especially like late 1800s, early 1900s, where they're kind of comparing different amounts of ethanol and like dumping them on germs and saying like, did it kill the bacteria? Did it kill the virus? Like, what did it do? Um, and wh- what they kind of found is that it seems like somewhere between 50 and 70% was the sweet spot. There was a thought for a while that if you went much higher, it would actually have a negative effect, which wasn't necessarily true. I don't know how that yeah. – but anyway, at least they knew this is where we need to hit, especially that 70%. We need to hit that in order to kill germs effectively. Um, now, a lot of times in medicine when we find that something works for one thing – we kind of try to do it for everything. You're very excited. Right, yeah. exactly. And so when we figured out alcohol, ethanol could kill some microorganisms, we decided like, well, then it must kill all of them. And it's actually set it back for a while because they found that it wasn't very good for fungus. Oh. And so there was this thought like, well, it's not, if it can't even kill fungus. Why that, that, that cool. Why are we chasing this down? Like, why are we continuing to investigate it as this possible antiseptic if it doesn't even kill fungus. Who cares? Yeah. It took a while. Research persisted, but it wasn't until 1936 that you see the next breakthrough where we switch from ethanol to isopropyl alcohol as a better way, as a more effective form of alcohol to kill germs. But at this point, again, it's still like we're still just dumping liquids on stuff, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, like, how else are you going to apply these alcohols? And I know it's not that expensive, but there is some waste there. Right. You're just dumping alcohol. It's great alcohol that someone could use. And you're just sloshing a lot of it down the sink. Yes. And, and like, it, if you think about, like, if you just dump a big bottle of isopropyl alcohol in your hands, it, it will dry on its own. But, like, if you're in a hurry, you still got to dry it. So this wasn't, this wasn't going to catch on. And especially at that point, hand washing had really, like, the idea of the, the proper surgical scrub. So before um, a surgeon— and everyone else involved in the OR, not just the surgeon, but everyone else who's going to assist, uh, performs a surgery, they do a full scrub. Do you know what the difference is between that and, like, hand washing? Um, you, you, well, I mean, you scrub in, and you are clean, but you can't touch things yes. afterwards. You have to keep 
your hands free of them. I'll just see them walk around with their hands in the air. Do you remember in the NICU they had that sink with the little sponges set up that you had to wash your hands at when you came in and out? Yeah. It's similar but more so. Um, they're specialized. Like if you go into an OR now, a modern OR, you're going to have like a big sink and you've got these little scrubs, these little sponges with a sponge on one side and like a bristled brush on so the other. So you your nails. So you can really like, you're going to wash all the way up to both elbows, thoroughly wash like every square inch of hands all the way up to the elbows. You have the brush with bristles that you can use, but it, you also get this little like pick thing to clean out from under each nail as you go. So you do all of that and rinse everything, and then that, that's a full surgical scrub. That concept had already been introduced by now. So, like, we kind of have this gold standard that mm-hmm. we're up against of, like, this is how to become clean. <laughs> Prayer. Now, at the story of how we get from we understand alcohol can do this, we, we're still washing our hands, but we need something better, or not better, but something that would work in a pinch— Um, The story of how we get from there to hand sanitizer is, it's funny, I found this, like, mentioned several places on the internet, and then at the same time that I found this, like, where did hand sanitizer come from, where I found this answer, I found immediately people saying, well, we don't think this is true. (laughs) So this story is probably apocryphal. Um, I say probably because there's always a chance we'll find something out. Um, But the story that you may have seen, because I think it was, like, tweeted around early in the pandemic. Like, if you're wondering who to thank for hand sanitizer, here's a tweet thread that tells you who to thank. And this probably wasn't so. Um, But the story was that in 1966, there was a nursing student in Bakersville, California, named Lupe Hernandez, who came up with this idea that if we took alcohol, which we knew could disinfect, and we take some sort of gel and combine them, then that would be like the perfect thing to quickly cleanse your hands, you know, in busy hospital settings. What's the gel doing? What's what's the gel's role? It's the vehicle for it. Okay. It's just, it's better, I mean, it's better than a liquid you got to dump on your hands, right? And it could also be easily dispensed to people if it was in a gel. You know, at this point, we had gels. We had things like squirt bottles and things that, you know, you could see where that, if we could use that as a vehicle for something that cleaned your hands, wouldn't that be convenient? Um, the story goes that Lupe contacted like a pat, like called some sort of number inventions hotline to try to get this thing patented. Nobody really ever knows what came of that. And then I think like what we would assume is that industry stole it. The the big, the big cats, the big cats of the (laughs) sanitization game stole this idea. Did you guys hear about this? There's some lady who didn't get a pat on something. We heard about it from a friend of a friend. We actually don't know the gender of this nursing student. Okay. Man or woman is still part of the question. Should not have assumed. The original story said it was a woman, but then there were other evidence that said maybe it was a man, and then there's other evidence. And and that's part of the problem with the story is that, um, because it was reported in The Guardian in 2012, and I'm not sure, I was reading this, like there's a historian named Joyce Betty who works for the Smithsonian who tried to chase down like, where did the Guardian get this story? And where is, like, can we find this human? Can we go through like the records of the hospital where they supposedly worked and find any patients Something, registered yeah. to this nurse? Can we call, like, they, and they were in contact with a historian in Bakersville who was like, I've been trying to figure this out too. I saw the same tweet thread. Like, where did this come from? Um, and, and all of this got revitalized interest 
in 2020 because of the pandemic. And so all of these people were trying to track down the origins of this. Is this true? Where is this person? Did they really get deprived of credit for their invention? You know, mm -hmm. is that is this really something that happened? And we've never been able to find any proof that this person existed and that this really is where we came up with hand sanitizer. I'd love to be, where do I sign up to be the kind of reporter that just looks at the stories other people did and they're like, ah, 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 not so fast. <laughs> I got you. I want to be that one who's like right behind your shoulder like, oh, well, interesting. Is that true or did you make it up? You got to feel kind of bad for this reporter who like in 2012 wrote this story that sounds very compelling. And no certainly they must this. have gotten it somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where it came from originally, but certainly they got it somewhere. And Nobody's making like, this stuff from whole cloth. But like sometimes in the journalism industry, you hear a story that's really good and you're like, man, I— I've heard this from a, a couple sources now. Let's let's go with it. And I will tell you, as a researcher, it is hard. I have had, and I mean, we've talked about it on the show various times where I found a story, I found it other places, I felt like I corroborated it, I felt like I found enough, like, initial primary research that proved, like, this is real, and then only to have, like, a listener say, actually, that's not true. And then I've had to dig deeper and find that there was, like, a root, like, falsehood where all of these branches of false information came from, and I didn't realize it because I ha I found so many corroborating false branches. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to do. Um, so, and I mean, maybe there is some grain of truth in this, but as it stands, you'll find this story out there on the internet if you Google where did hand sanitizer come from, who invented it, and... As of yet, we don't know that that's actually. I don't have any evidence that it's true. I'm not saying it sounds yeah, plausible. Sounds certainly possible. Yeah. Can't prove it. Um, but I can tell you about all the people who did come up with what we know today as hand sanitizer. Okay. But first, I got to take you to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off.
Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to- Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as- the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. In the briefest time, I feel like we got to know each other. Bro, I appreciate you so much for that. Do you read minds or what? It's really a very sacred space you've created here. (laughs) Bullseye! You've hit the bullseye, baby! Bullseye! Interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey! Did grad school ruin your reading habits? Oh my God, all those books you had to read for grad school. Did becoming a parent destroy your ability to focus on a book? Did the pandemic tank the number of novels you can get through in a year? Ugh, that happened to everyone and we're Reading Glasses and we're here to help. We'll get you out of a book slump, dismantle all that weird reader guilt. Which we know you have a lot of, but most importantly, we'll help you fall back in love with reading. Reading Glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Sydney, you're about to introduce me to the heroes of sanitization. So a lot of patents have been filed since the early 1900s for things that were sort of like hand sanitizer. I don't really have evidence that they made anything. I guess you can just file a patent and then not make it, right? Yeah, if you got free time. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to do this, but I do want credit for it if anybody does do it. There's a, in 1908, a Hans Kuzel files a patent for Alka-Gels. A better name. Which sounds like what... You would expect mm-hmm. that should be the the initial hand sanitizer, um, or just a way a very convenient way of getting drunk on the go. <laughs> Alka gel. <laughs> Who has time for these clumsy glass bottles? They're always shattering. <laughs> Why not reach for a packet of Alka gel? It's the drunk of the future. Whee! In uh, in 1936, William Moore sort of built on that and registered a, a patent for a disinfectant that could be used on skin and was based on this Alka gel kind of idea, like reference this old patent. Like, we know that Alka-Gels exist because there was Everybody loves Alka-Gel. I don't know that the Alka-Gels did exist, but um, in 1941, there's another one for germicide file, which, again, similar ideas um, without, like, 
there there is no like product history I have here. There is no substance that came from this that was sold widely or given to hospitals or whatever or however it would have been used. It's like somebody had the idea but not necessarily into mass um what, what's the word I'm looking for? Production. Yes, exactly. Um, in the 1940s, the first thing we see that's similar is when a couple named Goldie and Jerry Lipman have the idea for this hand cleanser, a waterless hand cleanser. Now, this is different because, um, and they start mixing this stuff, by the way, in a washing machine in Goldie's parents' basement in Akron, Ohio. Wow. So they start making big batches of uh, mineral oil, petroleum jelly, and 5% alcohol. So not enough. Yeah, not enough to get the job done. No, not enough to be disinfecting, but enough to, like, if you talk about hands that look visibly dirty, this would work very well to clean them. Like, they would look visibly cleaner. Um, And this wasn't aimed at disinfecting as much as uh, people who worked in, like, rubber plants. People who had hands that were covered in grease and oil. Um, that needed like a good waterless cleanser to get that off. Mm-hmm. That is really what they were aiming to do. They mm. weren't trying to kill germs. Yeah, they were trying to get all that grease and dirt off. Because a lot of people who worked in in those kinds of lines of work would use toxic, like caustic substances to try to get all this stuff off their hands. And the idea was, this is safe. You can put this all over your hands. You can put it on your skin. It's not going to harm your skin, and it will remove all that visible grease and dirt. Um, and they called it Gojo. Gojo? Yeah. Goldie and Jerry. Oh, okay. Gojo. So they made this stuff. They called it Gojo. I believe it's still sold today. I believe it's still really? out there. Yeah. And the Gojo company definitely cont- continues. You'll see. But um, they called it Gojo, and they sold it uh, out of the trunk of their car. They would mix up these giant batches of it in the washing machine and then put it in pickle jars. And then sell it in pickle jars to yeah. anybody who worked in like an industry where their hands would get dirty like that. Yeah, Gojo, it's still a thing. I was kind of surprised you hadn't heard of it. Why? Well, you work with your hands now. <laughs> <laughs> you got into that. Yeah, that's true. I I just use I have I I I just have dirty hands. I don't. I just kind of roll. You just with don't it. care. I don't leave the house a lot, so yeah, I have a special. 3M paint cleaning soap that I use, but other than that, I just yeah. kind of roll with it. Well, and you can see where this gets us on the right direction. Like, this this is close. This isn't it. This isn't going to do what our modern hand sanitizers do because there's not enough alcohol in it. But we're getting there. We have something that's waterless that cleans your hands quickly and effectively. Um, there are some patents filed in the 50s and 60s for some, again, some concepts of hand sanitizers that would be very cool, although I don't I don't know that they ever actually existed. Um, mm-hmm. They're not substances as much as like the delivery method because those are the two things you need, right? Like what is going to clean your hands and what is the delivery method of this? Mm-hmm. Um, there's one for a rapid hand sanitizer, which, and these are fun. This, so this is like a box with holes in it. And you would just stick your hands in the holes. That I love. That's so, convenient. And you can see where, like, these are filed in the 50s and 60s. So if you start thinking about, like, the futuristic kind of obsession. You would just have one of these outside of a, the, a cafeteria mm-hmm. or, or, you know. Whatever. And on your way out, you just, just stick your hands, hands in. in. And the idea for this one is an electrically operated fine spray device and a hot air blower dryer which would clean your hands for af- in just a few seconds. And the compound would have lanolin, pure grain alcohol, perfume, 
and maybe some sort of disinfectant. So obviously they didn't know what was going to be in it. But like you stick your hands in a box, they're sprayed with something and then dried very quickly and you take them out and they're clean. Perfect. Which sounds very Jetsons. It'd be great. Like you can see where this was like, this is a very Jetsons thing. We could probably get there if we were, would spend a little more focus on it. There was another one, the same idea for a hand sanitizer. Again, a box with an opening where you could just stick your hands in. Now, this was a, a sanitizing fluid um, where you would just immerse your hands in this sanitizing fluid in a box. And mm. you would like there'd be a ding or something. <laughs> <laughs> some sort of time that said, like, you're done, and you take your hands out and they're clean. Um, but this still doesn't give us, like, what's in there. What is the substance? We need the thing that cleans your hands. These are cool boxes, which, by the way, so you can just patent, like, a box with holes in it. I guess, yeah. No, you don't actually have to make anything. <laughs> you can just patent it and wait for the money to start rolling in. <laughs> for a box with the holes in it? Yeah, why not? It's a box with holes in it. Anything you put in that box, you owe me five cents. One time in fifth grade, my friend and I drew an invention, which was a computer that you could type in whatever you wanted, and then it would give it to you. And that's not an invention. That's genius. <laughs> that's not an invention. You you should be a multi billionaire. It's amazing. <laughs> it feels like this though. It feels like this. It's amazing. Anything you want, or yeah. In our Whoa. in our example, it was a pizza. It was what we presented to the class. It, you type in pizza, and then it would spit out a pizza. Please you, remember when I was in fifth grade, computers were very new. <laughs> yeah, but I will say this, that it's basically 3D printing. It was. You it was, basically invented 3D printing. I invented 3D printing. If I you have 3D printed anything, email my wife a quarter, please. You owe her. I wish I had patented it. Of course you should have. I mean, it's 50. A computer that could print anything? It's Why a, didn't you patent that? It's a 50-50 Split with my friend Stacy. She gets the other 50. All right. Okay. Okay, fine. <laughs> so I said Stacy's 12 and a half cents and said Sydney 12 and a half cents. Anytime you 3D print something. I don't know. We used my fifth grade teacher's class and materials. So maybe Miss Waddell so gets like a an cut incubator. too. I don't know. I love that. I love that grift. <laughs> yeah. It's a classroom and kind of an incubator. Like it's a loft space, which means I make the kids sleep under their desks while they invent things for me. <laughs> and I get 5% of the bad ones and 10% of the good ones. Okay, so this still, we're not at a compound yet. Now, in 1965, in Hamburg, Germany, uh, there is Peter Kalmer, who works in a hospital and creates something called Sterilium, which is a much... Bad name. It's a bad name. <laughs> it's a rough name. Alcohol-based, no water needed. You rub it into your hands. Here we go. Now we're in business. Now we've created hand sanitizer. It's called Sterilium. Um, the pictures I saw of it looked like it was just in like a big bottle. Um, so, like, the thing that, meanwhile, that uh, Gojo had done, the inventors of Gojo, is they had patented that, like, the dispense mechanism. Mm -hmm. The idea of, like, a, a single-serving dispenser for their product. And that was huge because you can see the convenience factor. And the first factor. thing they said is, we have to make this smaller. Why did we make it huge? <laughs> this is so inconvenient. And so, but, like, again, no major manufacturers are doing anything with this. Like, nobody is – this is not widespread. A lot of these things that they are making are just being used maybe in a hospital or in a lab somewhere, something like that. But you're not – nobody is selling this stuff to the public. Because I think at this point, you would also wonder, like, does anybody want to – We've made it this far. Buy this. Yeah. You know, is there a market for – do people worry enough about cleaning their hands to want to buy something like this? No, but maybe we should make them worry more. Well, that that's always the key, right? You got to make them afraid. Um so, 
And in, in, in 1988, Gojo actually did go ahead and make a 70% ethyl alcohol-based hand-cleaning gel. So they did make it, like, that early. Mm-hmm. There was no—they didn't bring it to the market. There were probably people using it, but it was not being marketed at all. Like, okay. that existed, though, as far back as 88. You don't see it enter the market until 97. So that's how— that's really how recent, which it's is very, weird if you think about recent. it. I remember, I have pretty clear memories of like starting to see hand sanitizer. Like it seemed like uh, an overreach at first. I mm-hmm. think the, like you'd start to see people like, well, you must be a real, well, was, the connotation was always you're a, like a germaphobe. Yes. Like certainly when it came out, it's like, oh, you're somebody who's like super, super worried about germs all the time. Um, Absolutely. It was the pocket protector of its of its days. It was. It was definitely not something that you would commonly carry with you or that you would have seen in all the ways that you do today in like with like I always think of places like Disney where they have all the fun character little holders for bottles of hand sanitizer. Yeah. You certainly wouldn't see that kind of thing back then. So in ninety seven, Gojo launched their version of hand sanitizer. You may know it. It's called Purell. And it was a viscous isopropyl alcohol-based hand sanitizer. Um, it's got antimicrobials and chemicals that will make it gentle. It's, it's fine for your skin because that was always part of it too. You need a cleanser that's safe for your skin. Um, so this was released in 97. And you know what came out that same year was Germex. Wow. So like the two major players in the, the hand ones, sanitizer the industry. Headers. Yeah, Purell and Germex come out, which I think even to this day are like number one and two, um, come out in that same year. But they're still not being sold that much yet. Like, they're released in 97. Like you said, there were definitely people who started to use them. And you could see a shift pretty quickly because a couple things happened. First of all, in 2002, the CDC, that's when they first released their official statement that they had enough research to say alcohol-based hand sanitizers are a reasonable alternative to hand washing. That was kind of like what they, you know, in a situation where you don't have access to soap and water readily, this will work. This is fine. You can do this. It's safe. It's effective. The CDC endorses it. And this was huge because it allowed it to be promoted in certain settings where something cost-cutting and time-saving like this would be especially mm-hmm. useful. So, like, you saw the U.S. military immediately adopt the use oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of hand sanitizer. Hospitals very quickly adopted the use of hand sanitizer. And I feel like I can remember seeing the, like, shift in hospitals from soap dispensers next to sinks to those ubiquitous hand sanitizer dispensers everywhere, right? those things. I can't tell you how many times I've, they're motion sensing at the hospital. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a patient room and I just, like, lean back on a wall and it's the hand sanitizer wall and I just totally goosh my back. You do. You do. And a lot of them are like a foam. So then just you're, goosh you're my just back gooshed with foam. With foam. Um, but, and, and they found, they did studies at the time that found things like an, an ICU nurse could save an hour out of their shift by using hand sanitizer instead of washing their hands in That's between wild. patients. And so you can see where in a setting where you're trying, where time is money, you would, you would immediately want to switch to this. So that was a big moment in 2002. The CDC said, yes, we can use that. And so you start to see it in like these institutional settings. And then the other big thing that happened in 2009, well, first of all, the World Health Organization echoed the CDC in 2009 and said, yeah, we agree about hand sanitizer. There's another thing that happened in 2009. What? Well, it it may be hard to remember, but there were other pandemics. Is that swine flu? H1N1. Oh, okay. Yep, swine flu. 
So I could remember. It's either swine flu or bird flu. Those are the ones. And you saw with H1N1, you saw sales of hand sanitizer just shoot through the roof because all of a sudden people became aware that they should be washing their hands more, but they can't if they're on the go. There are all kinds of settings where washing your hands aren't convenient. And so hand sanitizer jumped in to fill that void. Um, And that is really where we see it's only been since 2009 that it has been so common to see hand sanitizer everywhere you go, plus people carrying it as like a like a normal common thing for people to do. And not, as you said, as it would have been seen previously, as kind of like a germaphobe type, yeah. you know, thing. Um, since then, Purell has gotten into trouble periodically. Um, if you can picture some of their packaging, you probably, like they say, they're 99.9% effective at mm-hmm. killing disease-causing germs. Yeah. They've made claims about things like Ebola before. <laughs> And you got to be careful when you make claims like that if you haven't actually done a study to see if it kills Ebola. Oh yeah, I would assume that's a big that's an issue. So they, they've they've periodically gotten in trouble with the FDA for making claims that they can't completely. I mean, it's hard because we have like decades and decades and decades of research on alcohol and germs, but that doesn't always mean that, as we've talked about on the show before. Just because alcohol in a Petri dish kills germs doesn't mean that the way a person might interact with a hand sanitizer dispenser to wash their to clean their hands with hand sanitizer would decrease the germ burden enough to prevent infection with that germ. That you have to do that study to see. Because yeah. you also have like real life use. Yeah, right. One of the big things with hand sanitizer is you've got to let it dry. How many people before COVID? would just sort of rub it on their hands and move on touching things before letting it dry. How many people put their hands underneath the dispenser and you can't really hear it or see it, but you think some came out and then you, you just sort of rub your hands together and you're just rubbing your dirty hands together for no mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. Um, but the, the pandemic really solidified like the presence of these things in our life. I mean like that, I don't think it will ever go away now. I think since 2009, they were more popular. I think because of COVID you see them everywhere, and certainly an explosion of, like, do-it-yourself. There were a lot of, um, oh, yeah. early on in the pandemic, a lot of, like, TikToks and YouTubes about own, how to make your yeah. own hand sanitizer, a lot of small business-based products. Um, a lot of people argued that this is a market that's really re- ripe for disruption, but I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't know, but I don't think that way. So, of course, I wouldn't. Like, what do you? what else do you need? <laughs> like what? How you know? What if, you, you, if you had asked, if, if uh, Ford had asked Sydney what she wanted, she would have said a faster horse. Just you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, there are a lot of problems came with cars. To be fair, <laughs> there we go. Uh, you mentioned Tito's. Tito's actually had to release a statement early in the pandemic to say you cannot use our vodka as hand sanitizer because it's forty percent, not seventy percent. But Midnight Midnight Grandpa, the bottom <laughs> shelf whiskey, was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're, you can, we got oh, no, you, we're we fine. Got we're, you covered. Yeah, we got you covered. Um, so, and while all this is great, like, obviously, hand sanitizer has found its place um, as a an alternative to hand washing when soap and water aren't accessible to disinfect your hands to an extent, right? Like, we know that. Yeah. And, and I mean, I carry hand sanitizer wherever I go. I use it in the hospitals. Most of the time... When I'm seeing patients, I'm going to use the hand sanitizer dispenser on the wall, and I'm not going to go find a sink and stop and wash as, my hands. Because it's just as good as washing your hands. Well, it's quicker. It's more efficient. It's easier. 
Yes, it is what I'm going to do. It's what I'm going to do. However, washing your hands is still better because it's a mechanical action. So when you think about like, I guess if you've already given your hands a good scrub to continue on throughout your day with hand sanitizer is somewhat the same. But if you have like dirt and debris or oils or things on your hands, especially if you've been outside, like think about like when I've been out gardening, if I only use hand sanitizer on my hands when I'm done gardening, my hands will still look dirty, right? Right. And while that visible dirt isn't the same as looking at germs, obviously, all of those large particles are great places for germs to hide. Mm. And I can't guarantee that I've gotten that alcohol substance in and around and all over all of those little particles of dirt and debris and oil and whatnot on my hands. Which is why at the end of the day, like the mechanical action of soap and water scrubbing your hands is ideal. Hand sanitizer is okay if you can't do that. But, you know, especially if you can see visible debris on your hands. Wash them. Yeah. Uh, Sydney, thank you so much. And thank you, hand sanitizer. We took you for granted and then we really realized that we, you were there when you need, we needed you. No, it is not effective. I've said this before on the hand washing. Hand sanitizer is not effective for C. diff, Clostridium oh. diffic- difficile, which okay. is an infection that causes diarrhea, and you have to use soap and water if you've been in contact with it. Seems like a pretty big gap. <laughs> it's like they should fix that. It's not. I mean, hand sanitizer has its place, and I think especially we're all out in the world. We're all interacting a lot. We have this very contagious virus. Obviously, it has its place. Um, but it's always great to wash your hands. When you're done going to the bathroom, wash your hands. When you're going to eat something, wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Thanks so much for listening to our program. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And uh, thanks to you for uh, for listening. We really appreciate it, and we hope that you uh, are having a nice life. And we hope that you'll join us again next week. For Sawbones. Until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. All right. Yeah. org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.